1: welcome to you're, you're killing it, killing it. <laughs> and we never do it in time ever Emma. no but we're getting there and we're super excited today so I'm Tama and this is Michelle Grace Hunter. sometimes you, well normally you. MGH, M-G-H. Yeah. <laughs> let's just
2: it's such a long name we'll just you know we can shorten it MGH <laughs> and we are super
1: excited to have an amazing inspirational person on the pod today we have the beautiful Poppy Reed, who is the managing editor for the Bragg Media and Rolling Stone Australia hey Poppy thank you so much for having
3: me hello
1: hello hello
3: we're super excited
1: yeah we're so excited when we were like when I was like hey what do you think about coming on the podcast and you were like yes I was like holy (laughs) crap and I got (laughs) I was like what well, I got a little bit, um like, um, like what's the word? Like, starstruck.
2: Yeah, you're <laughs> a fangirly. A little bit fangirly, I
1: think. Uh, and, yeah, M. no way. That's so kind it, of you to say, that. It's true, it's true. So um, we brought Poppy on because we had a, a, a topic that we kind of wanted to riff today with her. Um, and, obviously, there's uh pretty impressive um, backlog of work and, um, you know, achievements that you've got in your career poppy um and personal life um but we were thinking today would be quite an interesting um topic around the youtube thumbs down so we won't dig into it just yet (laughs) but the whole idea of it is basically there's a youtube thumbs down we've seen across lots of different social platforms like facebook spotify um you know soundcloud those sorts of ones who've decided to actually move the thumbs down on the dislike button but youtube still has that there and we were wanting to dig into that today but first of all we would like to hear
3: from poppy so poppy (laughs) tell us a bit about yourself Well, I'm in my dream job. Um, And we were just talking before about like, where do you go from here? But I think, you know, so many people know that once you get your dream job, you have other things that you want to aspire to do. But my dream has always been to work in music. And I've always loved writing. Um, Ever since I was little, I've always just been, I used to write short stories for my mom and stuff um, back in New Zealand. And then when we moved over and I did my last two years of high school um, in Australia on the Gold Coast, I went and studied journalism. And I I pretty much made like every assignment music related somehow. Um,
2: and then I did a oh,
3: whose puppy is that? Jenna. Sorry. I've just <laughs> muted,
2: I've just muted my dogs. So. <laughs> cute
3: sorry um, and yeah and then I, I moved to Sydney to do an internship with the Music Network which is now still a really great uh, publication that covers the music industry and I worked my way up to um, editor there and then four and a half years ago almost five years ago Luke Gerges who is the CEO of the Brag Media um uh, asked me to come over and help him launch and run what is now the brag media and it has been such a wild ride like thinking of the company now compared to when we started oh my god like two two different beasts um but yeah i've just learned so much
2: it's been amazing was that really overwhelming when you first got that phone call to think okay we're, we're going to be taking obviously it does look really different now but how was that initial feeling when luke asked you over and um You know, were you really excited about the prospect? How did did that feel? Oh,
3: completely. Mm -hmm. When he called, so we'd had a meeting um, a little while before it where he told me that he was going to start a media publication and he was uh, meeting with all the music editors and getting advice and things um, and... I, I thought that I was just, you know, giving the advice that from the small kind of world that I lived in. I didn't know if I would be much help at all. Um, and then when a couple of months later, he said he offered me the role, uh, I, I jumped at it. Like I had been working at the Music Network for about seven years, um, all up from editor, from intern to editor. And I was just ready for a new change and a new challenge. And he, I literally jumped at it a little bit too fast. And he was like, just so you know, <laughs> We could We could go belly up in six months and you could be out of a job completely, um, but I just knew that I would learn so much from from just talk listening to him, chatting to him about what his what he wanted to do with it, me having really similar vision um, so I just knew that it would be such a huge learning curve all the way through and it has been I learned more in the in those first six months and I learned across my entire career because I was learning about really different things really social media oriented things as well which I
2: hadn't really delved into in the past
1: yeah there's something don't you... you think
2: I was just gonna say Tam don't you think there's a similarity with a lot of the people that we've spoken to so far about that just jump in like there's that real kind of like risk taking just like this is really scary, but I'm just going to do it because like either you feel an intuition or there's something in it that just allows you to jump. There's, there's something in all of the really successful people we've spoken to so far that that's a similarity, I think. Yeah. That was so nice that you see me as successful.
3: I actually do <laughs> see myself as successful too because I think of you know, when I was um, just out of uni, hadn't really done anything with my career goals, and then I saw this internship opportunity in Sydney and I didn't have a job or anywhere to live or any, I didn't know anyone in Sydney actually. And I just made the move. I just jumped on a plane and moved there. Um, yeah. And I stayed in a backpackers for a couple of nights <laughs> first before I found a place to live. Um, yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't scared. Because I was really excited. Uh, yeah. I knew that it would be a stepping stone to where I needed to go, even if they said, told me I was a crap intern and let me go after a week I knew that I would learn so much um in that week and I was really lucky that they did keep me on and eventually offer me a paying role and it was the same as when I had that call from Luke I just knew that um the growth element was was huge and that's one of my values is growth
1: yeah, which is a good. That's a good segue into, uh, you know, we've been asking all of our guests that come on, what is your definition of success? And yeah, we we obviously asked you on the show because you're someone that we identify as you're killing it, killing, you're it. killing it, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, for you, like, what, and you just said, I consider myself as being successful. What does that mean? What
3: does that look like to you? It means I get to do what I'm passionate about. And it means that I'm challenged every day in that. So for me, success is, is happiness really. And mm-hmm. I'm not happy if I'm not growing and I'm not happy if I'm not um, feeding my passions. So my passions are, you know, writing, journalism, um, doing things working in that realm of music journalism I've always been such a huge fan of music but cannot play cannot write <laughs> you don't want to hear me sing so I just always <laughs> wanted to be around it somehow and to pair writing and um, and music together is just uh, it's a dream come true.
1: Yeah that is so, cool. That's so we, cool. Yeah and we heard a little rumor that you share the same hometown of Whangarei as
2: Keith Ooh, right. Urban.
1: Hey, <laughs> Urban. Yes, everyone, He's Keith Urban best. is a Kiwi. We, we, we breed the best.
3: <laughs> He's born oh, in Whangarei, and there's only one hospital there, which only means Sorry. one thing. Born in the same hospital. Same hospital. <laughs> <the> same. <laughs> Probably just about 20 years later though, right? Yeah, I, I loved that. I loved being able to tell him that as well. And and also he had gone back there I think um, six years ago about and, uh, and he, we were talking about the town and how, you know, it's not so tiny anymore, how it's a mini city and we both had this real hometown pride.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Did you yeah. know when you were, you know, when you were kind of um growing up in Whangarei, which you know, it, it is a small town. It was a small town, it is growing now, but did you kind of have a feeling in, in, in your gut that you were gonna get out of there pretty you know as soon as you could, as soon as you were old enough, or were you
3: not really sure? I thought I would move to the big smoke of Auckland um and <laughs> pursue a career in writing there. And then when my parents divorced, my mum decided that we should move overseas to Australia. It would be a lot easier for her. We were in a a lot easier for her. We were in a really small town. You know, going through a divorce in a small town is not easy. And I I really applaud my dad for being so wonderful and letting us go as well. That would have been the hardest thing for him, saying goodbye to his two daughters. Um, Mm -hmm. I was 15 at the time. And we moved to the Gold Coast and I didn't want to go. I really did not want to go to Australia at that point because I had my friends I was like in high school like you know I was I had like this close friendship circle and when you're that age your friends are your life
2: Um, Yeah, and
3: And I remember mum telling me well if you don't want to go we won't go like I'm not going without you and then I thought about it and I was like oh well, it's not so great here for her, but it's great for me. Maybe I'll give it a whirl. We went over and it's like the first day, our little tiny apartment that we moved into was like so close to the beach. And there's all these people walking around in bikinis and no no shirts on, or the guys are just in board (laughs) shorts. And I thought, yeah, I could live here.
2: (laughs) There's something, there's something really interesting you just said though. Like as a teenager, I feel like you said that your friends were your whole world, and you didn't want to go. Like, and I know teenagers. Like, and your mum gave you that choice and was like, "Hey, you know, if you don't want to go, we won't go." But you, I guess saw that it was going to be beneficial for your mum I feel like that's kind of unusual to be a teenager just like actually look past the selfishness that you just have as a teenager everybody does to go I don't think I want to do this but do you feel like you could um there was a gut feeling that maybe there was something bigger for you or you just could see you know definitely for your mum this was a, a better decision
3: I did it for mum, honestly. Mm, yeah, wow. and then but then I got there and I was like, "This is so for me. <laughs> this is awesome." <laughs> what? <laughs> big,
1: what no. was I
2: thinking?
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And that warm weather. Oh, I, I love that. I think that it takes a lot of guts to shift hometowns mm. and also countries as well. And and I, I I feel like it takes two years, is what I think. Mm. It took me two years mm. to leave my hometown in New Zealand and settle in Melbourne. Um, and I just think that, yeah, it's, it's a scary prospect, but it's also worth it when you actually double down and give it a, a couple of years. Cause it just, yeah, it can be quite overwhelming, but so that's, that's really cool. So you found yourself in Australia, you're working for Luke at the brag uh, and you just start kicking off this incredibly impressive career. And so going back to that topic that we actually wanted to unpack with you which we did cover off the other day together the three of us just in in passing about the thumbs down on YouTube so I just think it's 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 a strange concept because even though it's just a visual icon that sits on a social media platform it represents more than that and it just it's it's kind of got a bit of a backstory for anyone who is putting content up there and in particular, um, probably creative people. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, um, what are your thoughts around, um, I guess, you know, this act of the thumbs down uh, in the world of, you know, putting content up online for people to, um, yeah, basically review and dislike. What are your thoughts around all of that and that button and what it represents for people?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, albums and songs are so subjective, aren't they? So just because Mm -hmm. it's not right for you doesn't mean millions of other people might not like it. And you think of uh, YouTube, that's one of the first places as a new musician that you would upload your music. and you know if you get a thumbs down or a thumbs up or a nice comment or a mean comment if you're emerging in an artist you're going to read that mm. and you know musicians i feel the, the, one of the things that i love so much about musicians and i find so interesting is that they wear their heart on their sleeves their mm. music is a representation of who they are as a person how they see the world um and if you are taking that down with a thumbs down um you know, just off, you know, maybe even the 30, first 30 seconds of a song, or maybe you just don't like the song, uh, mm. that can really damage um, the, inter- I, I don't know, I just think that there's flow on effects of that. You tell that artist they're not good enough, artists naturally wear their heart on their sleeve, then what if they decide not to pursue music? What if we don't get the next seer? What if we don't get the mm. next Vance Joy, Tones and I? Um, Troy Sivan you know like these are major export businesses for for us from a monetary point and then from the emotional contribution that it gives to us for our well-being you know that could possibly I'm, I'm, I know I'm getting a little bit erratic here but I feel like that is the flow on effect that could possibly happen from that yeah. and I don't know I just like I look at um, people slam tones and I that it just has always happened throughout her career. I hate seeing it. Um, it's mainly men, by the way, leading that charge mm. of of hate against her and her music. But mm. she also has almost twenty two million monthly streams on Spotify alone. So yeah. I think that people that do those things, maybe it's maybe they need to understand that it's just not their cup of tea and move on. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's definitely something. There's a, a couple of things that you've said. First of all, I think that the platforms have like. I know that they have a um, YouTube specifically has the thumbs down for a reason so that they I guess it can help with um, algorithms and content out there that people don't like but I don't think they're thinking about creators especially creative creators and what that does to the psychology like they're thinking of of it from an AI algorithm point of view not from an emotional emotional welfare point of view and I, I completely agree Poppy there's so much of the the psychological stuff that affects artists and creators when you see those Mm. certain things and then I think with someone like Tones and I who just doesn't fit into the stereotypical box of what a female artist should look like I think that's her that's probably her biggest issue uh, which I don't think is an issue I think it's actually phenomenal Um, and coupled with a woman that's successful, like that, those mm. two things, is like a recipe for disaster for male trolls. I think. I think that those two things are the things that you just always <laughs> see men go after, which is it's such a shame. And I agree, Poppy. Every time I see those, and, and you know, the music might not be for you. That's okay. There's lots of other music that's. You know, I don't. I don't understand that um, negativity and projection of negative comments online and it's something that I've really tried to personally check myself on and also try and teach younger people that I mentor as well like why are we putting out negative energy like that it's not doesn't doesn't do anything for the world it's actually very toxic you know it's um and I think that's like the yeah the thumbs down is just contributing to that um the overall kind of negative energy
3: (laughs) And I think of the algorithm too. And I think that's a really good point. That's for me, that's the only pro Mm. in this argument is that it helps um, YouTube understand what that person would like to see instead. But there's Mm. other ways of doing that. There's, you know, there could be something within the platform that doesn't have a thumbs down or something within the platform that the artist doesn't see. Don't show me anymore from this artist. And then, you know, I also think of how. Uh, there's so many artists or types of music that I perhaps didn't like as much a few years ago and now I'm all about it. I only recently got into John Mayer. I've been sleeping on John Mayer. And on the weekend, (laughs) I'm like listening to his new album, Sob Rock, going back into the deep cuts. I'm like, I had no idea this dude was so incredible as a musician. So, you know, there's there's something to be said that, you know, if you don't like it now, you might like it later.
1: That's exactly right. That's really true. Yeah, and that's it. I completely agree with the. So, yes, we understand AI and the algorithms and all that sort of thing and the machine learning that has to happen, but that's exactly right. The visibility of that thumb, because Spotify used to have the cross. Like, I don't mm. like that. And it used to be on the app, but they've removed that There's obviously been a way that they've been able to um, understand what the listeners are liking and listening to. And it, it does come down to number of streams and revisits of and certain songs. And also too,
2: with I mean, with Spotify you can skip, like that's, you know, if you skip a song really quickly, that's going to show them, okay, I'm not really into that song. And the artist doesn't yeah. need to see it. Like Poppy was saying, like Remove the visibility because again, yeah. you're it's I guess it's humanizing it. And and when you've got things like algorithms and AI that are trying to feed us this stuff that we want, it's taking out the human element of the people that are creating it. And that's at the end of the day, we don't want to affect their mental health to the point that they're not creating. And that's like what you said, you could someone might quit. Like that's especially mm-hmm. younger female artists as well. They're so vulnerable to this sort of stuff and just throwing it you know I made a whole documentary about this like just throwing it in because it's too hard you know so yeah there definitely should be some considerations there for sure
1: absolutely and this is this also leads on to like I mean I've been the receipt on the receiving end of the YouTube thumbs down and the funny thing is you you, you'll ignore the thousands of likes and you'll go to the couple of thumbs downs Mm. because you're like uh, what's wrong with me what have I done wrong why and, you know, and, and it,
2: dwell and, on it dwell on those you know two yeah. or three negative comments or whatever it just stays in your
1: yeah. head yeah which is a good lesson for you know to be able to um, learn and part you know in part with people who are listening who are creative is that those those thumbs down sure you can see them but if you go into that foxhole and you start to analyze. Mm who are those people that don't like it and why you're you're never going to um, you know be happy because there's like you said music's subjective and there's always going to be people that don't like it and then there's always going to be, be people that do like it. Um, Poppy we spoke the other day about um, you know as a journalist and as a writer you know we we talk about Michelle and I talk about all of the challenges as um, creatives and artists and in particular in the music industry which is particularly tricky i think um uh, navigating around that um but we spoke about um you know where you had to kind of um almost you were expected to write quite brutal reviews at a period of your career uh or that that's what journalists were doing at some period of time what what was that about and and mm-hmm. yeah can you can you tell us about that and what it's like to be asked to write brutal reviews to get attention
3: yeah so i never i never personally wrote them but there was this Um, there was a trend but like when I was first starting out I remember chatting to a couple of journalists that I really respected who were you know at at a much higher level than I was at that time and I was asking them what's with all these mean reviews that are happening these mean single reviews these album reviews the live reviews that are totally slamming artists I didn't understand it and a couple of them told me that it was a way to gain um, status, social status, and also a way to get noticed. So, some people make that as part of their brand as a music critic to kind of do these takedown pieces, so that people get talking about them. And you, they use that as social credits on social media as well. So you'll see, you know, there's a lot of trolling and a lot of baiting um, on social media, and people will say, "Well, look." Elon Musk engaged with my tweet, or Elon, like they they might have baited someone, a celebrity, an artist, or whatever, and then suddenly they get the social credit because they've they can show that so and so responded to them and was in their thread or whatever. Um, usually, they're just defending themselves, but that for them uh, allows them to go out to publications and say. Elon Musk reads my tweets, um, or you know this artist reads my tweets, you might want to pay me to write this piece, or when I'm pitching this thing, I know you you'll know that it'll go far and wide, so I don't get it personally at our company. we have an unspoken rule that if you hate the music uh, or you we cover food and drink as well, all entertainment, if you hate the musical, if you hate the restaurant, if you hate the meal, don't review it there's just mm. you know you can jump on the phone with the publicist and say, hey thanks for the tickets or thanks for the invite there. I didn't enjoy it. So I won't be writing something. Um, and you can explain why to the publicist, but you don't put that stuff out on the internet. I I just, I, I am really of
2: the belief that if you didn't like it, it's not for you. Mm. Mm. Oh, I love that. Just on the back of that as well, because you're in this, you're in this industry and you know, our industry is tiny, like everybody knows everybody. And the, The thing that comes from that is also everybody is friends with everybody. So then Mm. what happens often is you become friends with artists and potentially, I don't know if this has happened to you, it's definitely happened to other uh, friends of mine who are writers, but they're asked to review albums or stuff of friends. Have you come into, like, any of those issues before? Because I know that's been tricky to balance sometimes, the, the personal friendship and trying to remain really objective in um, writing or something, um, and it, you know, sometimes potentially can cause friction as well. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting.
3: I did a piece on Amy Shark for the uh, last Rolling Stone magazine, and I was very lucky to spend a bit of time with her. We went out for a meal as well as part of the interview, um, and and she asked us exchange numbers. And I was like, "What? This doesn't. This doesn't happen, does it?" Because I've never been in that kind of relationship with an artist, and I was you know, I felt very starstruck by Amy. She's an incredible person, an incredible artist. Um, But I did tell her over message, I was like, just so you know, I just feel like while I'm writing this piece, my loyalty (laughs) is to the reader. And so I can't, I don't want to, um, you know, strike up too much of a A back and forth with you in that time and she was so sweet she was like oh I absolutely respect that we were about to see each other at the APRA awards and she said I absolutely respect that totally understand when we see each other at the APRAs um you can just do some sign language and then when your feature's out we can we can actually talk (laughs) it's so funny um so that's that's kind of happened where you know you don't want your yeah your um Uh, you should be thinking of the reader Mm. and telling the truth when you're writing an article. And if you're friends with an artist, you know, that Mm. that can blur the lines a little bit. So um, I definitely did make it a point in that instance to try and um, make sure that I was thinking of the reader only.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely journalistic integrity, isn't it? I just um, Mm. can definitely, like I definitely know situations where it's been tricky um where that journalistic integrity has been upheld and potentially the artist has got upset in the, in certain instances as well so it can, you know like it mm. is the world and, and that's that's really yeah. hard as well it's like uh you know not to say it was like there was any brutal reviews or anything but it's you know if it's not potentially as glowing or whatever then I guess, feelings Mm. can get hurt as well. So like you said, I think that's just keeping at arm's length in different situations can be um, potentially the best idea. Yeah. Yeah. And back it up as well. You know, if you, if I have a profile
3: to do and I want to show different sides to the person, not show them as, you know, this amazing superhero, essentially show that they're Mm. human, um, Mm. you know, you've just got to be able to back that stuff up. And if an Mm. artist doesn't, respects that it's got to be a well-rounded piece then you know maybe they have some growth to do
2: yeah Yeah. it's so it's so interesting because my process as a photographer is so different mine is like very much like I always say if I'm not friends with the artist by the end of the shoot, then I wouldn't have got them to relax. I wouldn't have been able to see them as an artist. So I have so many friends that the artists now because I've worked with mm. so many. Like it's like um, it's part of the creative process, if that makes sense, to get that connection and um, continue, I guess, too, over, over you know, w- working with them over a number of years as well. So it's just really interesting to hear how different creative processes work as well yeah, yeah well,
3: exactly if they're not comfortable with you they're mm-hmm. not going to open up as much as well so if, if photography and writing has that same element as well mm-hmm. you definitely um you, you definitely want to show your work in the interview as well like that's one of the things that I've found is not no generic questions especially not at the start because you know mm-hmm. they want to feel like it's a safe space that you've done your homework that you know who they are um mm-hmm. and you just want to find out more so if I haven't, if I finished the the interview and I don't feel like they've opened up much, it's probably because I haven't done my research enough to oh, get them yes. to be comfortable with me.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's such that's an, an interesting, interesting point. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so yeah. what is some, um, you know, even for Michelle and I starting out as podcasters, what are some of those things that you would... Um, do in an interview to you know get yes to, like, teach us a, teach so us your ways
2: with, <laughs> with, <laughs> what are you doing getting people to away no I'm taking notes <laughs> I'm taking notes <laughs> what is one the first things I do is I,
3: I research everything i read everything that they have um they've done before i I listen to every single record if it's online i try and make sure if i've got time you know i remember back in the day you'd sometimes get like 15 minutes before an interview and that's when the interviews haven't gone well when you haven't had time to do your homework Um, but yeah it's all about trying trying to ingest every single thing that's available to you about them um, and then see what hasn't been asked you know you look at the questions that have been asked, the answers that have been given, and you see what perhaps they haven't talked about, that's your sweet spot to try and get Mm. them to open up about something that's different. And if you can catch them off guard with a question that they haven't been asked before, or you know something really um, meta about them that that they haven't really told anyone, that's in the depths of some Reddit thread somewhere, um, then they know you've done your work and they're impressed by it and they're more likely to be relaxed. But, yeah, essentially it's just about doing your homework and trying to um, get them to say something they haven't said in the past or talk about something they haven't talked about in the past. And also, um, you know, kind of gotcha journalism is a bit ridiculous now. You Mm. You wouldn't broach a subject that they clearly have avoided in the past for very obvious reasons. Usually a publicist will make sure that you don't do that anyway, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's really, that's yeah. really
2: interesting to hear because um, when we did our documentary a few years ago, and obviously take into consideration you have a, a filmmaker and a photographer, so we, we're not journalists <laughs> by way any stretch. Of, so we don't know what we're doing. Um, but one of the things, so Claudia would ask all of the questions um, while we were both filming, and she she definitely didn't know the industry as well as I do. She didn't really know who the artists were and she did no research. So she was kind of, it was all very taken from the point of curiosity and wanting to know more in a topic, um, almost like uh, conversational, I guess, really trying to get to know to the depth of that person. So it's uh, and it was really interesting to see that that often really worked in that, in that, I think, you know, it's a very specific um, example, obviously, but there was many times where she literally had no idea who these people were and it just worked really beautifully as well. Yeah, so, I love it that. It's so interesting I love to hear that. that.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah it could know, be a really, and really famous person a, too. Yeah, and it really came across throughout that whole documentary that these people felt safe talking to you and they felt that mm. they were you could tell that you know they kind of knew what was what was going to be on the table and they were comfortable talking about it and I think the key word that you said there was curiosity mm. so having that natural curiosity is more often than not respected by the person on the other end because mm. they think that you know you, it's a conversation they're genuinely having this um, to and fro which I think is really important and having curiosity as a journalist is number one
1: yeah number one and I think there's another good call out there that you both mentioned It's that the psychological safety if we're going to put a a label on it is have curiosity but um you know those people feeling safe and that they can open up um is I think that that just blows the lid off kind of all chemistry that's going to come out and um it's kind of interesting with you know I've worked with lots of music producers over the years and that's similar to you guys as well and um you going to interview someone with that, that natural chemistry, you're going and armed with, you know, information and knowledge um, or, you know, Michelle, you have in chemistry with, with the artists that you're working with. It's the mm. same with the creating of music and that there's been times that I've gone in and worked for some pretty impressive um, producers and with just that kind of vulnerability and that, that curiosity and that chemistry has not been there. And I think mm. that, finding that is because i think you can find it and connect with with people it, like you said poppy it, it's about doing your research and understanding but not wanting to put too much of a framework in place too that you make people feel like it's prescribed like it's a bit sterile mm.
2: but like that's allowing freedom allowing freedom mm. sometimes too like if the conversation goes into a certain area or something yeah but Tana, yeah. I'm interested, wh- when that
3: happens, when you go into a writing room or you're in a studio with a producer and the vibe
2: just isn't there, what do you do? Mm. Great question, Poppy. <laughs> like, she's so good at her job. I'm just interested. I know, it's it really? I am too. It's such a great question.
1: <laughs> it's an interesting one. I think, um, well, look, I've not um, put an album out before because I go and do different singles and work with different producers and different bands. And um, potentially there you, you, I'm sitting on quite a lot of unreleased singles that I've worked with different producers over Um, purely because of that reason that you walk in and you're like, this person's really cool and they're amazing, but they're not quite getting where I'm coming from. Um, I just worked with a friend of mine not long ago on one of my singles that I love um, that I'll release in the next little while. But the chemistry's there with what, where we were going. Um, And, you know, I've worked with Constantine Kirsting and um, he and I, I just released um, Boys in New York that Con did. And he and I had great chemistry and we had a great time in the studio. What was interesting about it though, is that I wasn't in the best headspace when I recorded my EP with Con. And then, so the EP's almost got a bit of melancholic sort of um, undertones through it. So when I sent the EP off to get, you know, the heads up and like you know what do you think of this to industry people when it didn't get the feedback that I was hoping it kind of crushed me and it's I've still not released it so it is that thing about um it wasn't by any means nasty but if you've done something of like musically and you're not quite in that space anymore and you've moved on it does it does have you kind of question whether you should put it out there or not and oh I've changed musically But then if you don't, then you're sitting on all this unreleased music Mm. based on the fact that, you know, so I've got heaps of unreleased tracks that I've done with producers, um, you know, based on, oh, I just, you know, not feeling like that anymore. Or, yes, studio chemistry. I've even, like, axed, like, stuff halfway through and still kind of paid for studio time and things like that. But just because I wasn't vibing. But I also think that another thing that I've learned from that is that you kind of have to just get in there and persist. And um, if something's working, get in there, finish the job, and then you can um, just allow yourself to sit with the music, put that shit out. Like you're never really going to be happy if you're a perfectionist. You just have to get it out there and move forward. And um, I think yeah, that's one thing I've noticed in the music industry as well is that we're very encouraged to kind of plan three, four months in advance, uh, have all your ducks in a row. Um, don't put out things because it could be you could stomp on something that's like potentially going to hinder your career. Um, those are some of the the messaging, uh, you know, things that I've experienced. But it also can hinder your growth if you don't put your stuff out there. So you kind of have to put blinkers on to some of it as well. Mm. But yeah <laughs> that's a real
3: long-winded answer but yeah no, I guess it- yeah that was amazing it's really yeah. fascinating to hear it from that side as well because you know mm-hmm. as a journalist who receives press releases and gets to chat to artists when they are very clear on what they want to talk about they're always in a cycle right they're in the tour cycle album cycle um, single cycle so they're very clear on uh, where they are in that moment so to hear it from that end is really fascinating yeah there's lots see and that's the other reason why you can't do the thumbs down bullshit because yes. there's so many trials and tribulations that get artists to the point of actually publishing that song on social media yeah. on yeah on socials on youtube everywhere
2: yeah, yeah and also too i think like that i did an interview um a while ago on my twitch channel with Thero monch who's a like really well-known hip-hop artist but he was saying someone said to him like the inspiration for music comes from we don't know where right and then once you're just like the vessel when you you produce that music you're the vessel and then once you've produced it it doesn't belong to you anymore it belongs to the world and he was that much saying like you've just got to get it out because you're Mm. it's come through you you're the vessel you've created it and now Mm. it's for the world and I loved you I love that I thought that's such a good way of seeing it of just going you can't hang on to it it doesn't belong to you it's like it's for everybody else so that's a good way of seeing it as well i'm not a musician so i, can't, I just thought it was a really interesting point that he made um, i guess it would be that's sitting amazing. on you know years of photos that we all do so
0: <laughs> yeah
3: do that and as i well. also think about i think about artists who you know released their debut single years ago and now they're talking about how they feel about those songs and those songs have changed people's lives. And then Mm -hmm. they sit there going, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to release that or I actually don't like that song now, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. 20 years Mm -hmm. later, but if they felt that way at the time, they would have never released it. And they would have never changed people's lives with that music.
1: It's so true. And do you know what, like that, that makes me think about um, I was telling a friend the other day about I was at a, I was playing a gig once and this guy was in the back of the room and I stopped one song and and just had a bit of silence in between before the next one and he was crying in the back of the room and yelled out you just struck my soul and I was like whoa I just got goosebumps yeah and I was like whoa okay that like and and I was like come see me afterwards like thank you that's cool and then and then we just chatted afterwards and stuff and he was just like it just it was really eye-opening that you could give that to somebody and that it made them feel connected. And I think that's why, why well, that's why I do it is to connect with other people and kind of share, um, you know, some sort of relatedness of, of this journey in life. And that's, you know, when you say, Michelle, once it's out there, it's not yours, you, you share it. So people can kind of have some sort of, um, yeah, relatedness and connection. It's funny because the way I articulate it to people who aren't, um, necessarily songwriters is that when you put a piece of your material out there for me what it feels like is it's so petrifying it's like telling someone you are in love with them for the first time it's (laughs)
0: scary
1: like it's like to confess your love to someone because you don't know what they're going to say back to you Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: you're putting your heart on the line and you're going hey i'm in love with you and if they if that comes back to you that they're like oh I'm not in love with you. I'm sorry to break your heart. That's literally that vulnerability and that emotion mm. of that's what it feels like putting a song out there. It's petrifying and you're so vulnerable and you just have to to do it. And that's why, yeah, these these things yes. like the thumbs up can be really scary for artists, you know? So I have a
2: um, actually similar in that when you send an album of photos to people and then like you're waiting for the feedback and it's like, Either we love them or nothing. <laughs> oh yeah. You don't I feel hear so anything. Lucky it's so brutal.
3: I wow. I feel so lucky that I put <laughs> articles out there and I don't have to wait until someone tells me they like it or not. because yeah. It's just out there. It's like, <laughs> just put
2: it, yeah, just put whatever. It out there. Oh, it <laughs> is. I, I I really, I definitely relate to, I mean, yeah, it is um it can be soul destroying if you don't hear any it's amazing when people love it and it's like it's the best feeling in the world and maybe they just you know whatever forgot to email you or whatever but you just you start internalizing it like oh my god they hate the photos they're never gonna hire me again it's just like you start doing that really weird kind of you know negative yeah unhelpful negative self-talk which I try to avoid as much as possible but I think as artists it's like inevitable we get in our
3: own heads yeah yeah one of the things that helps me is discerning facts from feelings so Mm. if I see um a mean tweet or someone says something nasty or whatever I think of you know growth is obviously one of my values so I think you know Mm. how can I is is are they right is it correct Mm. that I have written the shittest article of all time um (laughs) The fact is, no, I haven't. Yeah. And so I'm going to get rid of the feeling of I've written the shittest article of yes. all time. Um, but maybe they say something in there that I can bring on and I can yeah. grow from that. Yeah. Um, but but mostly they're bullies and they're just, you know, they're acting out of fear anyway. So
2: Often it's yeah, like yeah. I think with online stuff, it's like it's not even about you. It's just like someone's having a bad day. Yeah. They're just lashing, yeah. They've just read something and they're just lashing out, which I think that's yeah. a really good trick, is just to disseminate like what is actually fact here. And uh, most mm. of the time, I think you'll find it's, uh, it's projection rather than anything else. Yeah. yeah. They just yeah. need
3: a Snickers bar. What's that ad when they're
1: yeah.
2: really hungry, like hangry, hangry,
1: hang,
0: exactly. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. It, it,
1: it's not stuff that people say to your face either. So it's like, there is that thing of, you know, people struggle to kind of say they, like it's not very often someone would come up, you know, on the street and say something nasty about your music to your face, right? Like that's what really, I hate about it
3: because it's mm, like, you know, I'm still I'm still seeing it. Artists are still reading mm, this, even though you didn't mm. say it to their face. They're still it's it they're still reading it with their face. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reading can still it feel like that.
1: <laughs> unless their eyes are painted on. <laughs> <laughs> that's so
2: funny yeah
1: yeah um but yeah no it's 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 a really um fine line i i want to know poppy what is the difference
3: between good and bad journalism i i mean good journalism tells the truth it shows research um Mm. and it's unbiased if it's not a review Mm. of course so mm. you know, a, a good journalist will take you to the heart of the story, to the truth of the story, um, mm. and show you the different angles, and let you make a decision on your overall opinion based mm. on what they've presented, and they've presented mm. both sides. Um, this doesn't happen is, that actually,
2: often. It doesn't really probably. rare. Yeah, I was just about we were going to gonna say do, we were we going to cover journalists.
3: Yeah. No, we were going to cover politics in a in a proper way. At one point, we don't at the moment yeah. at all. Um, yeah. And I asked some some writers out there. I was like, "Are there any centred political publications? Mm. Like any titles that mm. are really centred and unbiased?" And these were uh, political journalists, and they said, "No,
2: that doesn't exist here." Oh my god, can it exist? Because one thing I yeah, find that's really think one thing I think that's really frustrating is that whenever the, like, whatever the side is showing, you know, they're, they're telling the story, what I find really, really frustrating is the intellectual dishonesty. It actually infuriates me and I think mm. it's, it you know, it can paint p- people as, you know, evil or whatever, just like the worst types of per- people and it's just intellectually dishonest. They might have done a bad thing or said a bad thing, but, you know, like, I, and that's what's very frustrating, that there's nothing that's just unbiased and telling the facts and then you can make your decision. It's all this really emotional warfare that this is the worst person ever in the world and they said this very, and they're evil and therefore they must be deplatformed and whatever it is. It's like, oh, my God, it's just very hard mm, yeah. to get very unbalanced unbiased media.
3: And there's, there's so there's so many easy ways to fix that. Just put mm. opinion editorial at the top. Yes. Just, and, and just say, yes. before you say evil, say, I think they're evil. You know, you don't have yeah. to, yeah. you know, I, I mean, but we've learned that the hard way. We do opinion editorial all the time and it says opinion very clearly at the top, but we have um, had pieces that we put out as news that have clear opinions in them. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, we've had to really look at that and go through all of our notes and our manuals and make sure that that stuff doesn't happen without mm. either linking to a publication or a story that shows that as absolute fact or mm-hmm. popping opinion on it um, and also not defaming anyone. <laughs> send, we send it to our in-house
2: lawyer first if you're going to say something like yeah. evil. If
3: you can't prove it, you've uh, got, to, got to check it out. Especially that, in Australia because
2: we have very, very strict defamation laws. Oh, yeah. Me, compared to yeah. other parts of the world. so. You have to be Absolutely. very careful. Yeah, yep, no, yep.
3: defamation laws do not, That's um, not really great for journalism at the moment. Our, <laughs> our lawyer refers to the US defamation laws as open season, meaning you can pretty yeah. much say whatever so, you yeah. like about anyone.
2: Yep. That's actually <laughs> probably... Yeah, <laughs> but well, that's actually, I think, a really great segue into something that I wanted to ask you about um, in terms of, you know, the there's a current, I guess, um rise in the, the Australian music landscape in terms of, I guess, our Me Too movement and our uh, time of reckoning for past behaviour that's been really abhorrent and um, I guess had been rumoured about for a long time and lots of people have known stuff happening and every you, you kind of speak to a lot of women in the industry and everybody's got a story. And I know you've been um, covering a lot of this uh, and, and I guess A, how, do you, how have you coped with the fact that there are really strict defamation laws in Australia so it makes it really tricky? And I guess mm. we, in uh, recent times um, with certain things that have come to light, is that making it easier to re- report on or are we seeing a moment of reckoning or is it still just really tricky to talk about this stuff? I think we're seeing a real
3: moment of reckoning right now. If I look at the Me Too movement and the music industry in 2017 to now, It's like the polar opposite. Mm. So, you know, when I was a part of a group of incredible women who put out the Me No More open letter in 2017, we really struggled for local coverage of that. We got some really great international coverage of it because of the big names that signed the letter. Um, But it wasn't really picked up by mainstream locally on TV and radio or anything like that. Um, mm. And then now we've got the biggest papers, the biggest mm. TV programs, the biggest radio stations and radio shows covering all of these stories. And we're actually seeing change at an executive level for a lot of companies. You know, we've seen the executive positions at Sony Music and Warner Music changed because of, um, I would say, because of really amazing journalists like Nathaniel Cooper Mm -hmm. um, at Sydney Morning Herald, like Kelly Burke, like Steph Harmon at The Guardian. And because of platforms like Beneath the Glass Ceiling, we're actually Mm. seeing that change that we never thought that we would see. But then we're also seeing artists come forward and put their name to things as Mm. well, which is really quite new. Like Rosie Fitzgerald, who's an artist, also plays in the band, I Know Leopard, Azura, um, Jaguar Jones, you know, they've been... Mm -hmm putting their name to their stories Mm. and telling the truth which gosh is so they're so strong such resilient incredible women and I think that that has bolstered so many other women to come forward um Mm. but the defamation laws are really tough you do have to back up every single thing that you say with evidence which as we know with me too stories is very very difficult Mm -hmm. not all women hit record on a secret camera when they are being Mm. assaulted unfortunately um trigger warning there so that makes it really tough but it also shows that you know these stories that we're seeing from the likes of Nathaniel Cooper and Kelly Burke that's just the surface level of it like the the actual um so many other incidents um or experiences haven't been able to be told because there isn't evidence to back it up and um that's because of the defamation laws that it wasn't been it hasn't been able to be published in full I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we were making the documentary and um, it was a very conscious effort actually not to go down this path. And we would, there was definitely stories that we would um, told or that were kind of touched on and and people kept asking us, are you going to tell this part of the story? But we just felt like it couldn't be just a little part of a a broader documentary. Like it needs its whole, a whole thing, you know? And at that point, You know, we were talking about gender imbalance, we weren't talking about sexual assault and it was, it, it just felt like it, It we wouldn't have done the story justice is what the decision that we made at that time so um, mm. it's really I think it's awesome to see and also the me no more movement was actually happening at the exact same time. So we had felt, okay, there's people, people are actually doing this. We don't need to, you know, there's other people that are telling this story and there's something that's going to be happening really soon. And it has actually taken a long time for this to happen, you know, like it's just felt like it was, is anything going to happen? Is is any of these people going to be held to account? And it just seems like now it's starting to happen, which Mm. is so so positive and that uh beneath the glass ceiling is um if anyone wants to check out that account on instagram um it's it can be very harrowing but it can also i think be um like unifying in a way like you can see that if um you know potentially if you've had an experience that you're not alone and there's other people that are sharing their stories which i think is really positive for women just to know it's not just you and you're not crazy. And there's other people that have gone through this as well. So um, a lot of positivity can happen with that, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I think with, with these sorts of situations, um, no matter, you know, no matter what, um, you know, it it can happen to, you know, anyone, you know, and not necessarily uh, just women or, you know, but the, the thing is having, if you're not the type of person that, you know, if you're a bit more of a background person and that coming out and saying things in the public eye or on a social platform is absolutely petrifying but you need support. I think it's really, um, you know, those sorts of community groups or finding, you know, similar kind of personality types in your friendship groups or mm. whatever that looks like in order for you to be able to, to speak up and talk, even if it's to one or two friends who might be able to help you, go through the process of you know whatever that whatever that healing process looks like and whatever that justice process looks like um that you know there are other ways that people can get support as well so you know not just keeping stuff to yourself too because mm-hmm. yeah those people coming out like um you know publicly with with their names attached is very you know um it's it's incredibly brave and i think you know potentially there will be people that are worried about what their career would do after that? I'm I'm not even sure. Yeah. I mean, has it that's been damaging to their brands and their? That's
2: a, I think that's a huge part, Tam. And I think like um you know this this whole podcast is about freelancers and creatives. Like a lot of us don't have organizations or bodies that are representing us. We're just sole traders. Mm. We're just people by us. We've got no one to report to. Like who do you report to? You know. So yeah. I think and, and absolutely thinking it's going to affect your career um that's i think that's well, a there's huge data part of it. yeah there's mm-hmm. data that shows that you know the research that we
3: first published in the industry observer jeff dr jeff crabtree's research showed that these women felt like because they were taking part in this research if it was found if they were found out to be taking part by their employers they would essentially be fired they felt like mm-hmm. they would be excommunicated from mm-hmm. the entire music industry you know one sentence that was said over and over by many of the people that he spoke to for his research said that um people had threatened them and said you'll never work in this town again like that's Uh that's been said over and over and Mm. you speak to you know you speak to most people now and you say if someone had come forward with uh, a sexual assault or a me too story in a publication would you still hire them everyone Mm. would say yes Mm. now but we don't know what's been going on behind the scenes previously and we don't know what might still be what like what draconian ways of thinking as are still at play here with Mm. this me too movement i think that you know there's a lot of power imbalances at play and some that
2: maybe men aren't willing to own up to just yet Mm. that's i think that's a great point because you still see it like there's you know any time there's a big case in the media if you do read the comments there's so many people that'll say she's just there for her 15 minutes of fame she's in it for the money all this stuff it's like what money what fame are these women getting like I don't know what you're talking about I don't know any sexual assault uh victims that have all of a sudden made bank like that's not a thing it's just wild that that's a prevailing opinion still
3: Mm. I can tell you from the women that I spoke to and I spoke to over 10 women for our story that Mm. none of them were in there to try and build their profile or help them Mm. along with their industry career if it was completely the opposite the Mm. reason why they spoke up was big for other women they didn't want Mm. it to happen to other people in the industry and they felt like speaking up would create change, and it and it has. There's been so many um, positive things that have come out of the story that we published, and also the yeah. the articles that have gone up on Guardian and Sydney Morning Herald. We've seen some real change.
1: Oh, that's so good to know. It's, great. it's so great really- to hear that from someone you know um, inside doing the the journalism and covering these stories. And oh, wow! So. I um, guess for us, like Poppy, it's been amazing uh, chatting to you. I feel like I've learned so many things in in this um, time having you on. And thank you so much for for coming on the show. I reckon we, um, yeah, is there anything that you would part with um for our listeners or any anything that any words of advice for anyone out there that you'd like to share if that you know anyone that's creative or or
3: embarking on a on a career like yours is there some oh. tips or- yeah well thank you so much for for having me on and this topic is really timely actually it's really i'm, I'm really so i'm so thankful to be having this conversation over the weekend i got okay. into a bit of a scroll hole, um, and huh. I saw some mm-hmm. saw some comments that weren't very nice. That's why I brought up tones and I recently, and then also mm-hmm. comments towards our business and myself. And th- these things happen um, mm-hmm. really often when you're when you're at a level that we're at. We have almost twenty four publications under our banner now, so we're being watched very closely. But um, mm-hmm. I, I saw a couple of comments, and I was a little, I was getting a little bit sad, and my husband. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed with Sylvester Stallone, like obsessed. Um, oh. And so I, <laughs> I I'll, I'll I try know. and wrap, I'll wrap this up. I have a point, but just no, so this is great. Stallone <laughs> like, yeah. <you> <laughs> that. So okay. So I have watched almost every single I think I've watched every single movie that Sylvester Sloan has acted in. And the way that my husband got me into it was he got me into the Rocky movies by saying, Oh, they're the greatest love story ever told. Like that's Aww. that's the crux of these films. And I'm like, oh a love story, sure. Um and and they're they're great. They're not the greatest love story ever told. He lied, but you know, there is a beautiful <laughs> there is a beautiful love story within the Rocky films. Um but anyway, so he, Sylvester Stallone has this saying where he says that your most valuable asset is your time and you can't waste it on people who are not like-minded and you also can't waste it on being bitter because if you mm. do that, then you're wasting your most valuable asset, which is time. So I always think of that. Um, and then I, love- I, also, I also thought of, you know, Tama, you and I chatted about this previously, that example of that artist who... You know took six singles into uh their label um headquarters and the president uh, the president of the label said i don't hear anything and the artist said what do you mean you don't hear anything nothing for radio and he said no i don't hear anything i don't hear any songs that should be on your album and he released them all anyway of the six songs one song went number one and the album went three times platinum
1: yeah <laughs> Like Mind one blowing.
2: person's opinion, so yeah, right? yes. That's such a great story for I think um, artists and creatives to hear. It's one person's opinion. Yes.
1: Yeah, Don't let that thumbs down derail you, and and also another piece of advice is don't be a dick. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. don't be a dick. <laughs>
1: Don't be a dick, and like, yeah, and and yeah. If you are getting a thumbs down and it makes you feel a bit crap, um, you know, just exactly what um, you know, Poppy has said. It's um, yeah, just keep pe- keep persevering, and and um, you know, your time and energy and what you're focusing on is um, you'll you'll be able to have great success if you focus on the right things. And yeah, so Poppy Reed, you are a blimmin' legend and (laughs) i have loved connecting with you and uh when everyone's out of lockdown and i'm over back over there we are totally going out yes we're gonna
2: have a catch up yes yes can't wait please so
1: thank you so much for coming on the show we have loved every minute of it and uh yeah yeah stay tuned everybody
3: so thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing what you're doing honestly this is awesome this is the opposite of all The bullshit hate that we were just talking about. It is championing people um, who are giving it a go. So thanks for doing
0: this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.